0: show your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance sports and just plain cool driving machines let's rev up the conversation time
1: for driven radio show hello to you the automotive faithful i am reverend hatfield and i welcome you to the driven radio show where we bring you the gospel of internal combustion here with me uh not really here with me. Here with me <laughs> through the miracle of the interwebs. In, in spirit, brother. In the Driven Radio pulpit is our engineer and co-host, Minister Mark Groves. Testify. We are coming to you from, well, normally it would be the Temple of All Things Automotive, but right now we're coming to you by the glory of Zoom, <laughs> and thank God for it. Amen. Uh, on the online Driven Radio studios, before we get started with our fantabulous guest tonight. Uh, Earlier this week, the Chevy Corvette E-Ray debuted. It is the first Corvette to feature all-wheel drive, the first Corvette to be an electric gasoline hybrid, and it is purported to do 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds, making it a tenth of a second quicker than the stunning Corvette Z06. Damn it, stop this, because I want to make fun of it, and you're making it really hard. (laughs) You can't. You can't. I was ready. I I was ready to take out another mortgage and go chase this thing down. (laughs) Uh, The e Ray is powered by the standard 6.2 liter, 495 horsepower V eight. But that is combined with a 160-horsepower electric motor powering the front wheels for a total of 655 horsepower and 595 pound-feet of torque versus the Z06's 670 horsepower but only 470 pound-feet of torque. The battery for the motor is housed in what would traditionally be the transmission tunnel, the center tunnel oh, on this. yeah, yeah. Uh, and as a result, there's 300 pounds of added hardware. But they didn't encroach on the front trunk. The front, the frunk is left intact. The motor is just behind it. And then the uh, quick, just discharge batteries are in the center tunnel. You got to have room Uh, for all those
0: new Reebok shoes you go to buy at Costco, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh huh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. Well, Cor- Corvette owners, uh, you know, we're all just looking for denim shorts and uh, New Balance. Yeah, they'll fit right in uh, there. Frunk it up. <laughs> but as a result of the added 300 pounds of hardware, this is the heaviest Corvette ever built. Yeah. Uh, the hybrid w- Corvette will have regenerative braking and a stealth mode that will allow it to operate solely on electric motor for up to four miles of 45 miles an hour. This thing's designed for performance, not economy. It's not meant to be an electric car the electric motor is built is intended to give it a boost and intended to make it all-wheel drive the e-ray shares the z06's wide body work but it has little to distinguish it from the z06 aside from kind of a bluish e-ray emblem on its flanks base price is said to be 104 295 to 111 295, which makes it very, very similar to the Z06. And the release date is the second half of 2023, making it a 2024 model. What an exciting time to be a Corvette fan!
0: You know, it makes me think of a a Tesla if I liked them. You know, (laughs) yeah, Uh, Yeah, I find most Teslas to be kind of really ugly, even the cool ones are like, nah, nah, and if they're able to. Yeah, Somewhat and some of them have that Corvette. weird
1: no-grill kind of pushed-up nose-looking yeah. thing, like the fuzzy no-nose chimps from the movie
0: Evolution. They're all the matchbox cars you didn't want to have. Those are the ones still left hanging oh, yeah. on, on the thing in wall. Yeah, the ones you wouldn't
1: even put in your case. You'd leave them home when you go play <laughs> in the sandbox because you wouldn't want the other kids to see them.
0: It, well, it's nice that Corvette at least hung on to that. You know, I I always bear the cautionary tale of the Mustang mach which was just like taking Mustang— and neutering it—that's right a in front of you. That's
1: that's <laughs> something they couldn't come up with a better name for, and they oh, they
0: yeah. didn't
1: want to call it a, a you know a Maverick at the time. So <laughs> true. <laughs> should should have called it something else. It's funny every time somebody says Maverick, I know they're talking about that new little pickup, but I'm just reminded of my cousin Amy's really craptastic, flat green Maverick that had the rusty bullet holes in it. <laughs>
0: You know, I, okay, I got a question, actually a, a legit question on this Corvette. So they got rid of the tunnel. Sure. They got rid of the tunnel. They put in the batteries. And, no, uh, no, no. Tunnel no? is
1: just the same as it always was, oh. but there was a space there for these quick charge batteries. And that's where they located them. So from oh, okay. the cargo space standpoint, you can't tell the difference. I'm looks from the outside, it looks like a Z06, except that it's got little E-Ray badges on it. Okay. It's a really good-looking car. They put some new, really cool, deep five-spoke wheels on it. The thing is all-wheel drive, so uh, it will be better in inclement weather. Uh, I, I'm reminded of a time I got caught in that '60 Corvette going home, and it started to snow on me uh. with five-inch wide bias ply tires. Talk about squirrely! Could I yeah. use the all-wheel drive then? Well,
0: hello, Jesus.
1: <laughs> How you doing? Why'd you guys take so long coming up with this car? <laughs> um and it's gonna be priced like a Z06. Uh the the w- thing that would tear me would be the Z06 has that five and a half liter flat plane crank engine and it sounds incredible. Oh yeah. Remember yeah, yeah. they reverse engineered that from a Ferrari 458 and It sounds like it. It sounds incredible. I want to hear that sound. My neighbors aren't going to like me, but I want to hear that sound. Now, is that the one that has a top
0: top wind or top line of uh, around nine to ten thousand?
1: It's it it has a red line of eighty two hundred RPM. Jesus Christ! And it's lyrical. It's beautiful. But the idea of getting something that accelerates just a fuzz quicker—you'd never know it. Seat of the pants, it'd feel the same. Yeah. But is all-wheel drive and will absolutely launch out of the hole. Either one. Hey, I want all of them. I want all of them. I got, I'm I'm out buying lottery tickets because I want all these suckers. Of course, gonna have to go find another house with a bigger garage. <laughs> and-
0: well, what's also uh, nice too here in the Midwest, if it's all-wheel drive, you'll take it, be able to take it out in the snow, right? Sure, and maybe even out deer uh, hunting. Well, yeah, sure. Now, now put the
1: downside. Put the downside. reel in the front. Ground clearance is no difference. <laughs> 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 so, you're probably eyeballing speed bumps when you go over them, but you know, uh, you get uh, I know idea. some
0: boys at KCK that can take care of you. Don't worry about it, baby. They get you yeah, up
1: Yeah, I'm not, not going to donk my Corvette, thanks. <laughs> uh, our special guest this week is Don Weebird, like a little iceberg, he says, publisher of Garage Style Magazine. Don is a born car guy with car people for parents. When he was a toddler, it's rumored his second word was Camaro. His third word was burnout. Don's worked in television, print, and digital media for decades, and he even studied law for a while. We won't hold that against him, though. Don, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks very much for having me, Brett, Mark. Uh I, before we get started, I want to wish you a happy belated birthday. We missed you on Tuesday.
2: Ah, uh-huh. uh, yeah, thank you. I got old again. Did you go to uh, yeah, well, hey, the Olive
0: Garden or what?
2: No, <laughs> no, we went to a place called Bombshells. Actually,
0: uh, I wonder.
2: Ooh. What you know?
0: I wonder what that was, huh? uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, it huh? was interesting. My wife, my twelve-year-old daughter, and me going to Bombshells, trying to try out a new restaurant in our new town, and. We found out that basically it's a it's a it's a second uh, it's a more militaristic version of Hooters. Uh, The password is restaurant.
1: It's a yeah, that's right. Okay, Don. So, happy birthday! Another trip around the sun. Congratulations! You woke up on the right side of the dirt. Some days, that's the biggest (laughs) challenge of the day. So, tell us how you got started. Tell us about your parents and how they
2: formed your love of cars. Ah, yeah, I I don't think they had much to do with it other than DNA. Uh, (laughs) You know, when you're walking along, whatever I was doing, I don't know but the rumor was, I pointed at a car and said Camaro. And it it wasn't even a Camaro, from what I understand, it was something else. But, uh, (laughs) you know, they knew then uh, this is going to be a problem. He's never going to be rich, because he's (laughs) going to be a car guy. (laughs) <laughs> and he won't have a cocaine problem because he's going to be a car guy. And so, yeah, both of that has come true. I'm broke and I don't have a coke problem. My my dad used to build hot rods and uh, he'd race at El Mirage. He would race at uh, Bonneville. Uh, he had all kinds of fun when he was younger. My mom was in a similar boat. Uh, she didn't build anything. She just bought fast cars and took it out to the drag strip once in a while and ran them down the uh down the road. Your mom
0: was a drag strip driver.
2: Yeah. This sounds like a Jim Croce song. I have have no evidence of it, but she's spoken of it a couple times. And uh, she was a Mopar person. She was raised in a Mopar Cadillac family, kind of an interesting mix there. But um, yeah, she had the D500 Dodge in 1959. And uh, if if she could keep it from breaking down, Uh. uh, it was actually a pretty fast car. Uh, And then she moved up to, of all things, she matured and she got herself a New Yorker in 1960. And that car was, (laughs) it it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those fast cars, but it was, it it had its own muscle to it. Uh, And then, you know, the inevitable happened. She gets married, has kids and responsibility and all that garbage. Uh, But yeah, my dad and mom always, you know, when they, when they bought cars, even for the family, uh, you know, the, the. First family car came before I did. It was a 70 Ford LTD Country Squire, but of course it had the 429, the four-barrel, the C6, the nine-inch, and uh, the disc brakes up front. Um, And then, of course, that wasn't good enough. So my dad took it down to a friend of his who had a a dynamometer, and they dyno-tuned this thing. And I guess by the time they were done with whatever they did, they God, this is stretching a memory bank, but it seems like that car at the wheel was pulling something like 310 or 315 horsepower at the wheel. <laughs> and of course they wanted to do more, but mom, the sensible one said, well, wait a minute, you know, we got to run around with the family. We got to tow the boat. We got to do all this stuff with, with this car. This car cannot break down and race cars love to break down. Well, it won't be a race car. It'd be a fast family car. No. Yeah, no. So that way it just stayed there. But yeah, that car was pretty vicious. I barely remember it. And then of course the late seventies and the eighties came along and everything was kind of flatlined for a while, but yeah, we were, we always had nice cars. We always had uh, some fast cars, some stupid cars. And uh, somehow my parents were all American. They were all about, you know, Detroit iron. And so that was what I was raised around with the muscle cars and the not muscle cars, like we were talking about that, uh, TV show Hunter car, which it's just a family car, but it, you know, it, it really could get out and move. Um, I was infected with the foreign car stuff. I, I was always interested in the stuff from Japan, from Italy, from England, Germany, et cetera. I always thought I was just fascinated with those cars. And, um, Yeah, it just, my parents didn't understand it. They were always cautioning me against it. Uh, You can't get parts, you can't get service, you can't get this. You know, typical, they were both from, uh, my mom was from Las Vegas. Her family goes back like 400,000 generations in Las Vegas. (laughs) And uh, my dad was from a little town outside of Las Vegas called Caliente. It's literally about the size of my desk. And uh, so when you think of those towns, Las Vegas in the 50s, and the oh. 60s a foreign power trying to get service for trying to get parts it, you know it, it's it's not going to happen you know half the time you had to bring everything in from los angeles or san francisco or you had to send the car to los angeles or san francisco and even then you weren't sure you were going to get what you needed so they didn't like foreign cars. well they also didn't really understand that things had changed a lot you know and Buying these foreign cars, it, it was sometimes easier to get parts for the Japanese cars than it was some of the American cars, and of course you couldn't argue that in my family. Which that is part of how I wanted to become a lawyer, was I realized, my God, <laughs> that's all we do in this family is argue, 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 and try to prove points, and um, you know that that that's kind of where that came from. But yeah, so my sister, she was uh, as far as I know, my sister was the first one she bought a. It's Silly little car, 1982 Mazda MX6. I'm sorry, uh, 626.
0: Yeah. Which kind of a weird
2: looking little thing. Um,
0: was it the one? little kind four of like banger? A, kind of almost like a guppy, kind of a, uh, it had kind of a thick body that tapered a little bit at the back and then the front end was a little squeezy nose. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the,
2: the front windshield was flat, but the rear windshield were wrapped around. Okay. And- yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. it, was, it was a weird little car, but my I'm
1: pretty car sure sense. squeezy nose is an industry term, isn't Squeezy it, Mark?
2: nose, Kind of squeezy s- nose, special yeah. sexy, <laughs> yeah, a squeezy nose. I've heard that before in Detroit, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, no, the 626 was shockingly quick. I, I was blown away at how quick that car actually felt, and um. So that impressed me. Yeah, that that was interesting. But, you know, the the real thing came, and the, the, this gives you an idea of my parents and, and my upbringing. Uh, 1981, Cannibal Run comes out, and we're first in line to go see it. And so there I am, five years old, looking forward to seeing a bunch of cars, looking forward to seeing The Bandit in a different movie.
0: <laughs>
2: and there it was, front row blazing across the screen, that black Countach with that noise, that god spearing noise of the <laughs> Lamborghini V12. And I just, I, I I still, I mean, right now I've got little hairs going up on my neck thinking about that car. And that immediately became my my dream car. The Kuntosh the just, that was the, I must have that car someday. And uh, then uh, we're out getting a Buick of all things, which Wow, was 1981 a dismal year for Buick? I'll tell you. Yes, but it we, was. We picked, oh, it was horrible. But we—it was my dad's company car. Uh, I must have been being rowdy or something because my mom took me for a walk on the lot. And uh, if you knew my family, that was always code speak for, you know, we need to deal with you, so we're going to take you for a little walk. And so we went for a walk out on the on the lot, and we're meandering around, and I'm this little kid. And I got my mom holding my hand. And I remember all these Buicks were huge. I mean, their trunks and their hoods were just kind of towering over me. And, I'm, you know, you're walking down the row and they're just lined up. And I remember seeing a space. You know, there was a gap between two of the Buicks. And I I remember thinking to myself, that must be where they pulled dad's car from. I bet that's where dad's car came from. So we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And I realized, no, there's a car in there. It's little. And short. And so it looks like there's nothing in the space. Well, we get up to it. We don't even know what it is. The thing is gleaming in the sun. It's bare steel. And yeah, it's the DeLorean. You know, we, we've never seen one of these before. And then, the, you know, we'd say, well, let's open the door. The doors go up. Oh, my God. I had met another <laughs> dream. Come, you know, so this is 1981. So obviously that was some sort of pivotal year for me because I met the Kuntash, I met the DeLorean. And Years later, I'm working at Motor Trend. I've got pictures of both of them in my little cubicle, and this guy walks by, and I, I have the Countach, the DeLorean, and a picture of my 66 Lincoln suicide door. And this this guy walks by. He's, a, he's an older editor. I really didn't like him all that much, but he walks by, and I, I hear his footsteps stop behind me, and I think, oh, he wants to talk. Oh, God help me. So I turn around, and say, "Oh, hey, how are you?" And he says, "Nothing." You know, he doesn't say a thing, but he's staring at the three pictures, and he says, "I finally figured it out." I said, "Figured what out?" You. Hey, <laughs> okay, what, what? What did you figure out? You like weird doors? Never thought about it, but you know, oh, maybe, maybe I don't know. So, yeah, so I, I don't know if this gives you any illumination as to how my parents ruined me. Ah, turned me into a car guy, but uh, <laughs> you know, it 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 gives you kind of a walk on. It's an incurable sickness that, you know, I I just, I can't stop. I just
0: cannot stop. Well, you know, that Lamborghini Countach that you talked about from the cannonball run, that specific one, uh, 2021, it was added to the national historic vehicle register
1: Yes, it was. So it's a national
0: treasure. Look at you from cannonball fricking run. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) You had, you had some other familial help in forming your ideas about cars and, your parents pushed all of the American iron on you, all the pro Detroit iron, but you had an uncle who owned a Porsche Audi dealership. I'm curious uh, where his fingerprints are on you. And it also seems, uh, am I missing this or did he throw you into an early detailing career?
2: Yeah, no, that was him. That was him. Yeah, I wasn't even being thrown in. Howard, Uncle Howard was your consummate businessman. And to me, you know, I was the youngest kid of three kids total. And I I had two sisters. You know, when you have two sisters older than you, it's a little bit rough being a boy because you're being told what to do by a girl. You're being told how to act by a girl. You know, so along comes Uncle Howard. And this dude became my idol. I mean, he was the slickest, coolest cat. He had a very Dean Martin way about him. And I mean, the way he walked, the way he looked, the way he talked, you know, Dean Martin once said, uh, I'm not slurring my words. I'm talking in cursive and it's classy. Okay, well, that was Uncle (laughs) Howard. And he did the same thing. And he always had a scotch in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand. And he was just the epitome of cool. He really was. Well, World War II veteran. um, He was tough as nails, but you wouldn't know it because he would never show you that side. He was, you know, he wanted to be a gentleman. He wanted to be somebody you wanted to hang out with. Um, So yeah, his, I understand his original business. uh, I don't, I don't know when my dad and he met, it was somewhere back in the sixties. But yeah, he had the uh, West coast distributorship for Bosch. uh, And then he had the West coast distributorship for Yokohama tires Uh, And then at some point he bought into a Porsche Audi Volkswagen dealership. So he always drove Audis everywhere. He, oh God, that guy must've had seven Audis uh, from the time I started remembering him to when he died. And uh, so it was really fun going to school because you'd be dropped off in this, weird little boring or just awkward looking sedan and people are like, what is that car? What is that car? You know, that's an Audi, you know? And what's really kind of fun is there, there's some friends from elementary school who didn't know what an Audi was back then, but today they're driving Audis, you know? And I, you know, I asked one of them, I said, do you remember my uncle Howard? I know, I know, I know he always had Audis. I know I get it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad you bought an Audi, you know, but the, the car that, uh, I really fell in love with from him 1987. It was the Audi Coupe GT, which basically looks a lot like an Audi Quattro. It's just much more sterile. You know, it's a five cylinder automatic, can barely get out of its own way. But Uncle Howard was going through some sort of a second childhood and he had that thing ordered bright red. I mean, this thing was just arrest me red all over the place. (laughs) And I fell in love with it. I, I just that was the coolest car in the world, especially for an old fart like Uncle Howard, you know? And I remember thinking at the time, and this sounds a little weird, I'm a TV TV junkie as you can tell by the cars. There was a TV show back then called The Equalizer and it had an old Englishman named Edward Woodward and he was an old warbird and he would help people who were in trouble with things that police maybe aren't able to help with and he drove a Jaguar. And he was english and i always thought that was cool well uncle howard uh he was american but his ancestry was german 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 all the way and here he is driving an audi he always dressed nice he was pretty cool he was a warbird so i always made that parallel like oh he's a spy of some kind you know i mean that was (laughs) that was my hero there so he'd come over the consummate businessman his car would be filthy just filthy if you remember those old german cars the front brakes something about those brake pads they would just blacken the front wheels they still do it now they still do it they now. really yeah it's a uh, hey,
1: german and european cars are notorious for having brake pads that throw a lot of brake dust and we've got a couple and they still do it now keeping the front wheels clean is just a chore
2: Oh yeah, yeah it's crazy. So he'd come over the car'd be filthy. His idea of washing the windows was hitting that little button on the side of the turn signal to make the the windshield washers come on and he'd wash the windshield that way. And because he figured time is money, the car wash is money and he doesn't have either to waste. So the car would just stay dirty. So he'd come over for dinner and and of course I would be a sucker and grab my bucket and my hose and my soap and my all that stuff and go out there and wash the car and make it all clean. And then one day I'd never done it before. And I, 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 I had this can of turtle wax and I thought well, I should try to wax the car, you know? So I, I got out my rags and everything. And I, I wax, you know, I put wax on the whole car. Yeah. You got that Put wax oh, yeah. on the whole car. So the whole yeah. car is covered in wax. So the red Audi is now white, you know, And I'm trying to rub this stuff off, and it's just not coming off. I mean, it's it's as hard as can be. So I go get my dad and Uncle Howard, and I say, so there's a problem with the wax. So what do you mean there's a problem with the wax? I say, well, I put it on the car, and it won't come off. What do you mean it won't come off? I don't know. Come look. It won't come off. I'll never forget. They come out there, and it was hysterical because they're both a little bit tipsy at this point. They've been hitting the scotch and having a, a little bit of fun there. And uh, so they see this white Audi in the driveway now, or wash pink, however you want to describe <laughs> it. And, and I'll never forget my dad. Oh, shit. And my Uncle Howard just started <laughs> laughing, you know. So we grabbed some rags. We, you know, and, and it, it was the funniest <laughs> thing in the world, funniest thing in the world to watch these two semi-drunk older guys, scotch in one hand, rag in the other, cigarette hanging out of their mouth, and they're trying to rub the wax off this car. I mean, it was hysterical. <laughs> So I learned that day, don't do that ever again, you know. So every time the car'd come over, you know, I did a little more, a little more, a little more. And the next thing you know, the car is starting to look like it's showroom ready. And so he paid me one time. You know, he said, You're putting a lot of effort in this car, you're keeping it up for me. So, you know, here's some money. And if you want, I have some friends and you know, some other relatives who want their car detailed. Yeah, sure, what the heck? So next thing you know, yeah, I'm running around. My mom is literally shuttling me all over los angeles to detail these cars uh because i don't have a license i i was uh 14 at the time when this started happening so so yeah what I, were
1: some what are some of the most interesting cars you got to clean
2: uh you mean the make and model or yeah like, yeah yeah okay um you're gonna laugh at this one. Hey, if you if you if you hate the Mach E, you're really gonna hate this one. Um, Ford Fairmont.
0: Nothing wrong with that. The Mach you know, but the other Mustangs are cool.
1: <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> no, it's it just what it's, people it don't it realize Fairmont. is the
1: Fairmont's a, a bit of a sleeper. And if you find the 5.0 version, you can dress yep. it with a lot of the same stuff from Fox Body Mustangs for yep. a fraction of the money.
0: Well, I'm ashamed yep. to even admit. Uh, well, not too ashamed, considering my my car taste but I'm even kind of digging on those Cobra twos that came out in the late seventies. Oh I, yeah. I used to think that my God, that is, Oh, just, you were just that, a
2: fairer Fawcett fan.
0: There was a <laughs> Pino that got braces. That's all they were. But no, the more I look at them, the more I'm like, that's kind of cool for being such a stumpy little bastard. So no, yeah. the Fairmont. Remember oh, yeah. that's
1: malaise era. That's malaise era. You know, Everything sucked.
0: You know, the Fairmont was Everything just a Mercury sucked. Zephyr <laughs> that, that was willing to
2: work. So I, I'm, I'm all good with it. You know, the the Fairmont was weird. It it belonged to an old lady in town. I really don't even remember how I met her, but I I thought it was hysterical when she says she wants her car detailed and it's a Ford Fairmont. And I, I, (laughs) you know, what was I, at the time, I think I was 17 or 18 years old. And I remember thinking to myself, who details a Fairmont? You know I mean? Who gives a crap? She's paying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the second thought that ran through my head. As long as your money's green, I don't care, you know. But then, so, I show, so she calls me and says, come over, pick up the car, take it back, you know, to wherever you go. And in detail, I thought, you know, I could do this at your house. And she said, oh, I don't have a house. I, I live in an apartment, and the apartment frowns on, you know, people washing their cars. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right, fine. So I go over there, and there she is. You know, she's a consummate 500-year-old lady. And naked as a jaybird. You know, this tall, huh? Naked as a jaybird, to all over her low.
0: fingers, Montevideo yeah. on, the, on the turntable or in the eight track. Looks right? like an old leather bag. <laughs> oh, she was something else.
2: She hey, really rascal. was. So, so she gave me the keys, says it's downstairs in the garage and, and it's in stall 20. And I'm thinking to myself, how many fair amounts you got down there that I need to look for stall 20, <laughs> you know, but whatever. So I go down there and there it is this lowly little white fairmont with blue interior white wall tires little hubcaps on the side and i'm thinking Uh it does not get any more old lady than this you know so okay whatever i hop in i realize the upholstery is mint the dashboard is mint the little wood grain that's been applied to the the plastic on the dashboard is perfect the glass is perfect and i'm boy, this thing is really nice. So you put the key in, pump, pump, turn it, and bam, it fires up. And Mark, you hit the nail on the head, it was a five liter.
3: Oh. So I'm thinking,
2: oh, my God, this is a little sleeper. So I looked out the odometer, and I'll never forget it, 24772. 24772, that was the miles. And I thought, it's too nice to have rolled over. I mean, this thing yeah. got to have, you know, the original miles on. So, okay, whatever. So, I let it warm up a little bit, put it in gear, pull it out of the garage, take it home, detail it, it cleaned up. Oh, my God, that car looked absolutely stunning. And um, I went in and told my mom. I said, did you see that car? Did you see that car? And she says, yeah, I saw it. Don't even think about it. I said, but, Mom, it's a oh, five God. liter. <laughs> oh, well, maybe. But don't even think about it. We don't have room for it. We don't have money for it. We don't need it. Yeah, but mom, shut up. <laughs> Go finish your job, return the car. All right, fine. So I finished the job, return it. So that that was probably the most boring, but I think, you know, it's hard. I worked for a car collection. Um, again, you know, my dad uh, had a friend named Bob. He was back in Glendale and Bob owned half of Glendale and he had a car collection and he had a Countach. And so knowing that I was a Kuntosh junkie, uh, he hired me to work at his hardware store. And then he said, uh, what I want you to do is work at the hardware store part-time and then work at the car collection part-time, you know, just sprucing up the car. Okay. No problem. Happy to do it. And uh, yeah. So it was white on white 82 Countach and right next to it was a black on black 87 Testarossa. Uh, and then from there, it just went on and on. I mean, the man had, it, it just, it's unbelievable what he had. Now, the funny thing about it, before I worked for him back in, oh, I'm going to say 86, somewhere in there, my parents tell me, hey, we're going to go to a car auction in Newport Beach. And I said, okay, that sounds fun. So we pile in the car. We go down to Newport Beach for the day, and we're at this car auction. And there they were, all lined up. There must have been 60, 50, 60 Rolls Royce sedans, all lined up, uh, and they were all painted in these weird, weird motifs. You know, some of them, it, it, one of them I remember, it was like dark, dark, dark brown, and it had cranes flying on it. Cranes were painted on the bodywork, and I'm thinking, what kind of moron paints Rolls-Royces like this, you know? And <laughs> I loved Rolls-Royces from a very, very early age. I, In fact, my very first little, you know, the Corgi collector cars and and all those kind of about this side. The first one I bought was a Rolls-Royce Corniche coupe, red tan. And I remember I had to save my money, save my money. And back then it was $7.50 for that car. And I saved and saved and saved and I saved $9 and that just barely covered the tax. And (laughs) I was able to get my little red Rolls-Royce and I still have it. I I still have that car. Mm -hmm. I have almost 99% of the cars I ever bought. Uh, so I like Rolls Royces. And so here's this, here's this fleet of beautiful Rolls Royces that have been defaced and defamed and whatever by these ridiculous paint patterns. You know, one of them was a rainbow thing going on. One of them had, well, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty
1: sure I know who you're talking about
2: here. <laughs> yeah. The Indian guru. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bhagwan, yeah. Bhagwan. Shari. Yeah. That's it. Shri That's it. Yeah. And, uh, but, but what happened, you know, I'm looking at all these cars and inside I'm just crying. I'm just crying that anybody would do this to a Rolls Royce. But then I start looking at the paint and I start realizing son of a bitch, this is really, really nice paint. I mean, this is not, this is not some punk in a garage with a spray can and a, a, what do you call it? A template. No, this is, this is nice. So I'm looking at more and more of them. I'm looking at them more closely. And I'm realizing, oh my God, I'm I'm falling in love for the ghetto rolls races. That's what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened, you know. And so the next thing I know, a couple hours later, I'm with my dad, with my mom. We're in the tent. The auctioneer is barking out all these numbers, and he's, you know, I I I can't tell which end is up in that place, you know. And Bob is with us. And he's got one of those people from the auction that you tell, you know, oh, a bid, yeah. bid, bid, you know, you tell that guy. Ringman. Yeah, one Ringman. ringman. Yeah. And, and Bob, my God, I couldn't believe it. I, he 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 looked I can't even say it on the air because it it's comical, but people will be offended in this day and age of what he looked like. Um, you know, virgin prom night in a whorehouse, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> mm. Because all he kept saying was, hit it, hit it, hit it. And I mean, he did boom, boom, boom. It didn't matter who was bidding against him. By God, he was going to have this car. And so they, well, what the hell is he bidding on? You know, he's got a Lamborghini. He's got this. He's got that. Well, what's what's he bidding on? One of Bogwans Rolls Royces. He wanted it. Mm -hmm. He wanted it bad. The car's name was Leather and Lace. And how it was were the sides, you know, the 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 what do they call that, the the flat sides of the door and the fender and all that, that was painted brown. And it had that sort of very subtle, very subtle grain to it, like leather would. And then if yeah. you know the 1985-ish Rolls-Royce, it's slab side and then it has a little bump out, and then it goes in and the windows go up. So the slab side was where the leather was, but when that bump out happened, that was lace. And it looked like it looked like somebody painted it silver and then laid lace over it and painted it white. That's what they did. <laughs> and you had this leather and lace look. But the car was what was so interesting about that particular car, it was so subtle that it almost looked like it didn't have any custom job it looked like a regular rolls royce that the sun was maybe playing tricks with you on that's what it looked like amazing car just amazing so that was one of the ones you know that i got to detail i got to take care of and and you know go out and get a gas go exercise it and yeah i i just i loved that rolls royce another great story i mean if you want me to keep going on brett i don't know when you want me to stop
1: sure give us one more
2: I'm, uh, we had a, I'm looking
1: at that car right now, and apparently it's come up for sale in the last few years. Oh, my silly. Lord. Leather and lace? Uh, it looks It looks like it had. Oh, my God. I can't. Wow. They did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that was intentional. All right, so we know Brett is
2: not a fan.
1: <laughs> what was the year on that? Oh, my God. It's got, like, peacocks down the side or something.
2: 1980? Oh, that's a different car. I know that car. A lot of colors. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the yeah. peacock car. That that car has a funny name. Um, but it, but it's, all the cars it's got, got the, the,
1: It's got the lace pattern on the hood and the trunk. Oh my god! Oh my god!
2: If okay. you really want some fun, look up Fire and Ice. That was the one my mom no. liked. It was called Fun. You're gonna spare yourself? Yeah, I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I fell in love with those cars. I really did. I just and then the stories behind those cars, with you know the Bhagwan and the story from Oregon where they literally poisoned the entire town to sway a vote. And oh my (laughs) God, I mean it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, these guys were straight out of Hollywood. They were these were the these were the people that were doing the things that Hollywood was thinking. Hmm, I need to make a movie about something. What do I want to do? Bogwan and his people were up there doing it. it. It was it was insane. It was absolute insanity. Um, no, thanks, I'm good. I think I found the fire and Ice Car. Yeah, could Did have done without that. Uh, <laughs> yes. So now that you can't unsee that, you're going to go to bed <laughs> dreaming of that, you know. Um, no, maybe the- I'll 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 stay up late and watch Pink
1: Floyd or something before I go to bed. This dude had 93 Rolls Royces. Yeah, 93, 93, 93 of Rolls them. Yeah. You can only drive yeah. one at a time.
0: Uh, you know, he's a sex yeah. guru, so he might be able to do two at once. But you know,
1: ah, uh, <laughs> well, they're done. Done. There there nice, there nice. Yeah. How very tasteful <laughs> of you, Groves. Well uh, done. Yeah. Always
0: <laughs> looking for the classy, uh, classy attack. Yeah.
1: Uh, Way to keep it classy. Uh, in addition to being a detailer, you've worn a lot of other hats in your time. You studied law. What were you thinking? History, journalism. You worked for hard copy of all things. You worked at Paramount Studios. You interned at Motor Trend. You, you've worked all over. Why so many different jobs?
2: Yeah, what's wrong with you? Uh, you know, I, I think I. What the hell is guys? wrong with you? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I think I followed my footsteps, my dad's footsteps on that one. Uh, my scoutmaster was talking with my dad, and I was just there, you know. And uh, Mark, not, one, dad, joke. not no, one joke, not one joke
1: out of you. I am. Oh, what happened?
2: What did I hit? Oh, no, what did nothing, I hit? Nothing, you said nope.
1: scoutmaster.
2: Mark's got seven jokes ready <laughs> right now.
1: No, no, don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, keep walking. Uh, uh.
2: Yeah. Well, anyway, he's he's talking with the scoutmaster, and. um, he's he's telling him about a, a job he once had and you know he's known my dad for years and he finally looks at my dad and says what haven't you done <laughs> and it's true my dad just kind of did everything you know and uh and i i guess i just kind of followed him in the foot i i had my first job at 11 years old and ironically in a way it was at a local print shop which i say ironically because ultimately i went into the publishing industry and you know worked with printers all over the place so it was really weird that a little boy, his first job works at a print shop. Um, but yeah, I wanted my own money, you know, and uh, I didn't want to have to keep going to my mom and dad I want to go get a candy bar. I want to go to the magazine. I want to go to the, so figured he figured <laughs> he'd print some up. Yeah, it works. You know, I mean, why not? It works for the government, you know, what the hell? Um, so yeah. So I, I, why so many, I, I you know, there's just so many things to do out there. You know, yeah. you kind of want to do everything you can and when I was a little boy, again, formative years, um, I don't know what happened, but we ended up my father was in road maintenance and construction, and we were in San Luis Obispo, California. I believe at a meeting I was really young, but I believe we were at a meeting at Caltrans, and my mom and I were just roaming around San Luis Obispo. And of course we ended up at the car dealers because we all love cars. And I don't remember how it came up, but I remember asking my mom, "What does a lawyer do?" For some reason, lawyers were very prevalent in my family at that time. So I don't know if we were being sued, or if we were suing someone, or if we were just working with lawyers to square <laughs> something with the state. I don't know, but I can I tell you the it'll... difference
1: between an attorney and a hooker.
2: A hooker will quit trying to screw you once you're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what do you have uh, when you got a thousand lawyers buried up to their neck in sand? A good start. <laughs> what, what do you now? What do you need? when you have a thousand lawyers buried up in neck in sand? More sand? You know? Yes. Uh, why? Why did the lawyer always wear a, a necktie? It keeps the foreskin from creeping up.
3: Oh my know? god!
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. I always, I was what was, like. What's the difference between an attorney and a catfish? One's a stomach and kind of bottom dweller, and the other one's a fish. Yeah. the other one's a fish. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, anyway, I asked what was a lawyer, and my mom said it was basically somebody who's supposed to help you when you get in trouble with the law. Yeah, that was her way of making <laughs> a making a five year old understand what a lawyer was. And and I said, Well, how much did they get paid? And she said, Well, about fifty bucks an hour, I guess. And I, you know, five year old kid, my mind had blown. Yeah. Fifty bucks an hour? I mean, that's insane, you know. So that was really the kickoff was the money. You know, to a five-year-old kid, that's a lot of money, and I, I think uh, that could buy a Lamborghini no problem. You know, and uh, so I wanted to be a lawyer. I mean, that was that was that was always the the center of my interest was become a lawyer. And uh, of course, you go through the whole thing. You want to be a cop, and then you you know you want to go to work in the movie theater and you want or yeah. movie industry. And for some reason, I just always you know when i got into college i studied law and i studied journalism and i loved both i really did but i realized the professors i was involved with in legal studies were generally miserable old people they were very unhappy they had no imagination they had no sense of humor uh they they just wanted to die i mean really that was it and but on the other side on the mass communication side The professors were all a lot more uh curious they wanted to know things they wanted to explore things they wanted to figure things out and that was more interesting to me and one of the things i always wanted to do because it god i think seven years old i took my first magazine subscription um and it grew from there it was car and driver that was the first one and then it was motor trend and then it was road and track and then it was uh, cars and Parts, and then it was Mopar, and then it was Mustang Monthly, and then, it, I mean, it just went on and on and on, and unfortunately, I'm a hoarder, so I started keeping these things because, you know, I'm going to remember where the article on the Dodge Daytona was. You know, I'm going to yeah. know which magazine that, well, I'll just pull it right out and read it again, you know. So I had all these magazines piling up. At, by the time I was nine, it looked like a library. I mean, it was horrible, but I realized that ultimately, ultimately, I love these magazines. I want to work in the magazine industry. I want to own a magazine. That's that's what I want to do. And so I, later in life, you know, I'm studying law, which it wasn't a bad thing to study. I mean, I, I actually recommend people who are going to college, even if you have no interest at all in becoming a lawyer, don't worry about it. Take, Take a couple of law classes. Trust me. Just oh, yeah. take a couple of law classes because it's going to help you in the long run, uh, negotiate contracts, figure out contracts. What are they saying in this contract? And just language, you know, uh, how to talk to people and not get caught. When well, you said blah, 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 no, 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 no. I said it was about 8,300. I didn't say it was 8,300. You see, it's little, little things like that, that I, I really like, but yeah, ultimately I saw those professors and I saw the future and I just thought, I don't think I want to go down that road. I don't mind getting a juris doctorate, but I don't want, I don't think I want to practice. So I went after mass communications and journalism and uh, got surrounded by a whole bunch of communists. And that was interesting <laughs> in and of itself.
3: Yeah, um, no you know, me.
2: it was my, it was really my dad's biggest nightmare because in his opinion, the three worst things a person could become are a lawyer, a politician, or a reporter. Well, <laughs> I was studying 2 out of 3. So and, and one of those could lead you to being a politician. So uh, yeah, I I was just my dad's worst nightmare. I really was. And I liked foreign cars for God's sake. What's that all about, you know? Um so yeah, so it it, it it to answer your question, I think it just boils down to there are this is a boy with way too many interests, way too many things going on and I fortunately was able to sample quite a bit of it. Um the paramount job came as a result of hard copy. And I was in the newsroom at the school and this fax is hanging on the wall. And it says hard copy is looking for interns. I didn't even know what hard copy was. I, I had no idea. Well, I had an idea. I thought it was a TV show, but I'd never watched it. I didn't know anything about it. So I asked my, uh, fellow classmates, what is this all about? And they laughed. They said, oh, my God, that is like the worst show in the world. It's it's yellow journalism, it's blah, 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 you know. So I, I went and asked my my uh, journalism advisor, you know, what, what what do you think of this? What What is this hard copy? And she said, well, as much as you like television, you would probably do really well there. But I'm warning you right now, it is tabloid television. So go home tonight, watch it, see what you think. Well, I couldn't go home tonight and watch it. I had to go to work. You know, so I really didn't have time. And when I did have time for television, the last thing I wanted to watch was some tabloid TV show when I could be watching Rockford or Hunter or, you (laughs) know, any of those fictitious shows that take me away from my reality, you know, and have really cool cars running around. Uh, So I I did i called the number and said i'm interested in the internship and they gave me the address and you have an appointment at this time come down here and oh okay you know so i go down there and meet with the people and they like the way i smelled and so they put me to work and that was at paramount studios so i ended up working in the tape vault and the internship ended And I was driving a Fiat at the time. I still have it. It's out in the driveway right now. I've still got that little car after 40 years of ownership. Um, And at the time,
1: that's gotta be some
2: kind of a record. (laughs) It's close. Yeah, it's close. But at the time, you know, you're kind of dating people and the Fiat's not making a great impression. And in fact, the Fiat's breaking down quite a bit. So you're thinking, well, Maybe I should, you know, get something with air conditioning. You know, that might be kind of novel. Uh, I had the Mustang. We had a 65 Mustang that was my dad's and he and I, well, he mostly restored it. I was just kind of there to annoy him about how to restore it. And, um, you know, when you're 15 years old, you know, everything about restoration and you're going to tell your dad how to do it. Uh, So I had that car. But, you know, again, air conditioning, that'd be nice. You know, power steering, power brakes, you know, maybe seatbelts you know, overrated.
3: Like <laughs> overrated.
2: So I, I called hard copy and I talked to my old supervisor in the tape vault. And I said, uh, are you guys hiring for anything? I, I I need to start making some money. And he said, let me call you back in 20 minutes. It's okay. So he called me back in 20 minutes and he said, can you be here on Friday? Sure. What's up? And they said, oh, don't worry about it. Just come here Friday at three o'clock. Okay. So I show up Friday at three o'clock and there's my old tape supervisor and there's the boss of bosses and there's all these other people from hard copy. And they all remembered me from my internship and uh, yeah, they wanted to hire me to do transcription. Okay. So I had to, yeah, that was, that was a crazy job. We're going to give you a videotape and you're going to put it in this machine that's connected to a computer and every word they say, you type it. And when it goes from question to answer, you hit enter to go to a new line, and it gives you a new timestamp. So we know exactly where the person said whatever it was they said. And the whole point of You were of doing was, captioning. Yes. Yes. Oh. And I, I didn't know really good how to type at that time, but I'll tell you, you learn baptism by fire. Yes, you do. Type. And I ended up going from something like, oh, I don't know, 13 words a minute to 115, with a 93% accuracy. Wow. And I was not the fastest guy. There was a guy there who could type so fast. When he stopped, the cursor was still going and filling in the words. And I'm like, my God, this guy is mind boggling how fast he And he was accurate. Oh, he used to piss me off because he was so accurate. So that's (laughs) that competitive side of me. That's like, no, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to be better than you. You know? And I never was. I, that guy was just, he was something else on the keyboard. He was amazing. So you learn a lesson. You're not going to be the best in everything you try, but being second best isn't that bad, you know. And you got to learn to accept some of your faults, you know. So anyway, that job enabled me to get a loan through the Paramount Credit Union uh, to buy my first real vehicle, which was a '92 uh, Toyota 4x4 pickup bright arrest me oh. red gee i wonder okay. where that influence came from bright arrest me red you know um <laughs> but that was that was the uncle howard side and that that thing was gorgeous god that truck was nice but um anyway at paramount i was just a transcriber well because i was such a whore for money the tape vault would sometimes call me and say hey we've got some tapes that need to be sorted will you do it yeah yeah, yeah no problem let me get off transcription at seven o'clock and then I'll go up there and I'll take care of the tapes that need to be done. And, uh, you know, then one of the producers would call and say, hey, will you work with me in sound booth five when you're done with trans- with uh, tape fault? Because I need some help, you know, editing. Sure, love to. I know nothing about editing, but I'm going to go learn, I guess, you know. Well, then it, it was kind of interesting. We were, I, if I remember right, we were in stage 26. It was 26 or 24. And right across from us, I don't remember what stage that was. I think it was 17. But every day when i go to work, outside, right outside, was something really cool. Either a bright red Viper or a black Bentley that looked like death warmed over or a 60 Buick sedan that looked like it had no purpose being there at all because it was just a 60 Buick sedan. Uh, There was a Porsche, if you remember in the 90s, the Porsche Targa became a glass top that mm-hmm. slid over the rear window. Okay, it was one of those cars. Um, oh. yeah, I don't even remember all the cars over there. But always a cool car was there. And finally asked somebody, you know, Who, who's who's across the street? And and they said, Entertainment Tonight, which was the wrong direction across the street. And the person I was asking was very hard-nosed, and I didn't want to correct them. Oh, no, 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 the other way. Nah, just let it go. It's Entertainment Tonight. So I go out one day, and the Bentley's there, and there's this taller guy, skinny, and he's with three other guys, and they're looking at the Bentley, and they're pointing, and they're doing this, that, and the other. And uh, it it was weird. As I'm walking by, I'm kind of looking at them. I don't recognize anybody right off, but as I'm getting past the little crowd, the one guy – is looking at me and he grabs the taller guy shakes and points at me. And I think, Oh shit, what did I do? You know, what what, what did I do? You know? So I just walked a little faster. I figured get the hell out of here, you know? And uh, nothing ever happened. And then maybe, I don't know, three days later, four days later, uh, Kelsey Grammer walks into the studio and I see him from across the room. I'm doing my transcription job and I see him and I think, Oh my God, that's, That's Kelsey Grammer. that's awesome, you know? So he's talking to the front desk lady, um, coolest lady in the world, Joan was her name. She, you wanna talk about people she's worked for. Oh my God, you would get this call because I would take over night phones for her and you'd answer the phone and this this is true. Hard copy, this is Don, how can I help you? Yes, hello, Don, Uh, I'm calling for Joan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Can can I ask uh, who's calling? Uh, Just tell her it's a friend from England. Okay. Put her on hold. I call for Joan. Joan picks up. You know, yes, Joan, what do you want? So you got a friend from England on the phone.
3: Oh, what's the line?
2: "Uh, Two. Oh, click. Okay. And the next thing you know, the line from England is just lit up for the next hour. So I'm like, who the hell is that? You know, so I, I never got to ask her. But she would always call in. Every... Every three to four weeks, you get this call. Hello, I'm calling for Joan. You know, who is this woman who won't answer my question? You know, so finally, I, I finally got a hold of Joan. I said, "Okay, I, I got to know. You know, who who is that woman?" And you know, I, I Mark Brett. I hate to bring this up. I don't remember the name. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know, but I'm I'm going to give you a movie, The Sound of Music. Julie Andrews. It was Julie? Julie Andrews. That's who that was with Julie Andrews. Yeah. Oh Joan God. used to work for Julie Andrews back in the day when oh the sound of music was made. She was her PA. She was, you know. So, yeah. So then you start to wonder well, who else did you work for? Well, have you heard of John Gielgud? Holy cow. Oh yeah. You, okay. So she worked for all these really cool people. And now she's the front desk lady at hard copy. I mean, just amazing stories. So, anyway. Kelsey is talking to Joan, and I notice Joan looks right at me and points, and Kelsey looks at me and waves, and I'm like, okay, what what the hell? What do you you want? I didn't do anything to your car. Leave me alone, you know? (laughs) He was wearing the same shirt, and I know that sounds weird, but he had the same shirt on the day that he and those men were standing around the Bentley, so I knew that's who that was. You know, he's tall, he's thin, he's got that shirt. It's gotta be him. Yeah. So he comes walking over and I'm thinking, what the hell? And of course everybody in hard copy is watching because I'm the lowly little transcriber. I am a nothing. I'm a crumb on the bottom of their shoe and Kelsey's coming to talk to me. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, what, the, what this is this a trick? You know, so I stand up and, you know, hey, Mr. Grammer, how are you? And he said, I'm good, Don. I'm good. Thanks very much. I, I know you're really, really busy here, and I'm really sorry to bother you. But the guys tell me you're pretty good at detailing. Oh. The guys, who who are the guys? Who, who, who are these people? You know, and he said, well, the guys that I work with, they've seen your work, and, and they say you're pretty good. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know those guys. How do they know I'm good at detailing? And I'm racking my brain. Who have I detailed for on the Paramount lot? that Word would and that's what it was. I picked up a few clients on the Paramount lot, and Word had just spread. There's this guy at hard copy, and he's really, really good at detailing cars, and he's cheap. He's so cheap. He's he's a bad whore. Go get him. (laughs) And so, yeah, he had a a, a scrape on the Bentley. It looked like somebody, the Bentley was parked, and somebody just kind of nudged it and gave it a little white mark. So he asked Mm -hmm. me to help get that out, and I did and uh that was the beginning of you know doing little odds and ends for kelsey and the next thing you know i'm working for the legal department (laughs) there's those lawyers again at paramount i'm running papers all over and the next thing you know i've got like five different bosses so it came to a point where if if transcription wanted to fire me at hard copy that's fine because i still work for the editing guys and if 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 the you know it, 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 it was all tangled in You know, it was almost impossible to get rid of me, which was really kind of cool. Um, But it was one of those jobs where I kept doing this, kept doing that, kept doing this. I was bouncing all over the place. And I think that's just my personality. I I can't really do just one thing. You know, I look at people who do just one thing. I'm like, God, I admire you. That's incredible. I wish (laughs) I could just go nine to five, do my job, shut the hell up, get my paycheck and go home. That'd be fantastic. Now nah, that's overrated. You don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it just, I don't know, you know, so. But the cool thing is, done
1: all of, the cool thing is all of these different jobs and all of this different stuff you did provided you with a broad enough basis of knowledge to form what you do, day, do today. So tell everybody, what is Garage Style Magazine? Yeah.
2: Where did you get the idea? And how did you get that off the ground? Okay. Uh, I worked for Motor Trend. I told you that. That was a yes. an internship, again, that turned into a kind of a, well, it was freelance. You know, they were going to hire me. They got the company got bought out. They couldn't hire me. Uh, so they taught me how to be a freelancer. And so the next thing you know, I'm writing for, at my peak, I had something like 35 different magazines that I was writing for. And um, wow. Yeah, it was pretty sick. Like I say, I can't stop. I, I can't... I
1: thought I wrote for a lot of people. Help.
2: <laughs> yeah, It's you know, there's a movie. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies, and it's about a real person. Uh, it's called Catch Me If You Can. Yes. Um, it's it's um, uh great That's movie. It's about Fra- Frank Abagnale. That's him. Yeah, Frank Ab- Abagnale. And uh, Frank Abagnale, in the movie, who is played by Christopher Walken, uh, he's at a... Oh, what is it like a chamber of commerce function in the movie, and he wins an award, and mm-hmm. he goes up to accept the award. And he has a little speech, and he says it's a great speech. I I love this speech. He says uh, it, it reminds me of a story I heard. Two mice fall into vats of cream, and they can't get out.
3: <laughs> can't so the one out.
2: mouse. The one mouse, he he quits. He drowns immediately. Uh, The other mouse, on the other hand, he pumps his little legs so hard. He pumps and he pumps and he pumps until he turns that cream into butter. butter. And then he climbs out. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I am that mouse. And I always remember that. I always thought, you know, it's true. If you spin yourself fast enough without blowing yourself up, you can turn the cream into butter and you can turn it into something, you know, and I always stuck with that. But anyway, I always love that. So yeah, I'm freelancing for way too many magazines and um, uh, a lot of them, you're getting assignments for, and I'll just cut right to the chase. You know, I, I got an assignment uh, to write for a 70, I don't know what year you, you would know better than me, Brett. It was a, it was a C3, but it was a 427 four-speed car. Uh, silver, black interior, convertible, just gorgeous. It belonged to a businessman in uh, the San Fernando Valley where we lived. And he was a respected guy. He knew a lot about business, knew a lot about making money. And it was the damnedest thing. I'm photographing his car and he's just making casual conversation, asking questions about magazines and I'm answering them. And what really struck me like lightning was, oh my God, I'm not lying to him. I'm telling the truth. I know this stuff. You know that really hit me hard. That yeah. I, I actually knew all this crap about magazines and newspapers and publishing, and you know I didn't realize I knew all that. I didn't know I had all that upstairs. And so he says, um, you know, what I think they ought to do. And I said, no, what's that? He said, I think they ought to do a, you know, they ought to do something, a magazine about garages. And that was what hit me again. It was like getting hit twice because I thought. In all my travels, all the cars that I've covered, so many of them had cool garages they lived in. And I wasn't wow. connecting those dots. I wasn't I wasn't thinking, well, if I like this and if the owner likes this, other people out there are gonna like this too. You know, I never connected that dot until the Corvette guy said, I think they should make a magazine about garages. And I thought, you know, that's that's not half bad and uh so we tried working together very briefly it didn't work out because he wanted monthly and he wanted celebrities on the cover and i it just wasn't the direction i wanted to go in and so it sat dormant for a while and uh you know i just started shooting garages i had my fiance at the time who's now my wife and we'd go out and shoot a car for a publication and they'd have a nice garage and we'd say so we got a weird question can we shoot your garage (laughs) sure you know and what i really loved about it and we saw this early on you know you tell some guy hey i love your xyz car i want to photograph it and try to get it in a magazine is that okay oh yeah okay whatever where do you want to do it i mean they're very blase about it you know but when you tell a guy you want to shoot his garage you want to shoot his collection. I got to tell you, they turn into five-year-old kids again because remember when you were five years old and your friend came over for the first time visiting your house, you want to see my room? You want to see my room? Yeah. Because that's your little slice of the world. That's your little, you made that area. Your parents gave you the room and you put the posters on the wall. You put the the, the bedspread up there. You, you did all that. That's your little slice of the world. You're very proud of it. And these car guys are the same way. They're just grown up with a lot more money. And so they've decorated yeah. this garage the way they want it, and they turn into five year olds when you tell them you know i want i want photograph and 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 publish your garage yeah and I didn't realize it, but we had architectural digest for car guys that's really what it was, and you know we're not photographing the house so much we're photographing the garage and we're with the collection and whatever. And it it was fun, you know, it, it was really, really a lot of fun. And um, yeah, we ended up, I think it was, uh, we incorporated in California in 2007. And then we printed the first magazine and sent it out in May of 2008. So it was a year later that we got the actual publication out. And I think it, originally we had, um, yeah. I think it was, uh, I think we had 200 subscribers. That was about it. And it just, it's not like it blew up. I mean, if it blew up, you know, it'd still be going, Uh, but it, it kept going, kept growing, kept, you know, but it was always, it was always a struggle. It was always, always a struggle. So that, but that's the basic of how it started. You know, I, we, we, we grew up or I grew up in Glendale, which is Burbank. And I had a lot of, uh, interesting friend with interesting cars because of my work um jay leno has known me since i was 17 years old and oh, wow. uh i i had a um you know mark you'll appreciate this i had a 72 plymouth satellite coupe and it was <laughs> painted jet black and oh, it was dressed yeah. up like a roadrunner so oh my I had god stripes yeah, I had all the stripes, I had the road wheels, I had the white lettering tires, I had everything. It looked like a Roadrunner, but it had enough of it. Don, Don you're going to have
1: to hold on. Mark's going to need a minute. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll right.
0: better. <laughs> we're breathing. We're breathing. We're breathing. I thought for just a second there you were going to go in like to the full Goodfellas version of it too, where it's just black, it's practically murdered out, it's chrome, black, yeah. and it just wants to kill you.
2: And I'm like, that, well, that works it, for it, me too. It you know, it, it it wasn't that bad, but it did have a sinister look to it. And, and I learned the trick to a sinister look for a seventies car, especially. Get rid of that gray grill. The seventies yep. were filled with these boring gray grill pin and black. Pin and black. Get rid of that gray grill, paint and black. So yeah, when you painted the the bump the uh the grill black on that car, it did take on a more serious, scary look. But this is the early nineties. And the early nineties were not friendly to clones or tributes or any of those. They, you know, car guys back then did not want to hear about it. So I was asked to leave, you know, a lot of car shows, but I was raised at Bob big boy. So everyone <laughs> knew me. They knew everything else I had behind the Plymouth. The Plymouth just happened to be my, my daily driver. And so I would take it to Bob's and people would snicker and whatever, but for the most part, yeah, this little Donnie has, he just got his Plymouth car or whatever, you know, and it was okay. So one day, one night, I was there alone. I don't, I don't, I guess I'm not big of a loser. I just run around alone looking for things to do. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been to that Bob's big boy. It's on Riverside drive in Toluca Lake. Uh, it's one of the oldest Bobs that was ever built. And every Friday they have a car night there and they have um, a drive through Well, on Fridays, the drive-thru is closed because they don't want cars moving, and they want to use those spaces to park cars. But the drive-thru window is open, so you can go there, and you can order whatever you want, and they'll make it, and then they'll call out your number, and you go get it. I just wanted a milkshake. So I ordered myself a milkshake. They made it right there, and I you know, came back and i leaning on the nose of the Plymouth and I'd seen Jay Leno roll in. He had his chassis car, as I call it, which is a Duesenberg. And he says, that's the most close to a real Duesenberg you'll ever get because it it's just the chassis and the engine and the wheels and he's yeah. got a seat in it and that's it because there's no body on it. This to him is a true Duesenberg. So, okay, makes sense. So he had that car there that night. I saw him roll in and i I'm not one of those ones to go, you know, school of fish. I'm not going to go run up to this guy and, oh, hi, how are you? You know, so I'm leaning on the nose of the Plymouth. Literally, if you can picture this, the front of the Plymouth, my butt is over the left headlights. Okay. So I'm just kind of leaning right there. My back is to the windshield. And I'm just kind of looking around. And I, I just, I turn my head to the left and out of peripheral vision, I see somebody literally bent over in my car that's pretty bold, you know, so I get up, I turn around, well, it's Jay Leno, and said, oh, how you doing, and he he comes back up, he goes, it's not real, I said, yeah, no, it's a fake, I thought it was real, I saw you come (laughs) in, and I I thought this was a real roadrunner, and I said, no, it's a fake, you look at the hood, it's got a satellite hood on it, you've done an awesome job with this car. I said, oh, thanks. I wish I could take the credit, but I bought it this way. All I've done is wax it. You know, that's all I've done. And she said, well, it looks awesome. I really like this car. And and the fact that it's a clone and you kept it going, I mean, this is great. What have you done to the car? So I showed him the grill and, you know, little odds and ends that I did, which were very minimal. They really were. And we just kind of hit it off because we would end up going, you know, I'd go to a car show in Burbank. Well, he'd be there. I'd go to Car show in Pasadena, where he'd be there, Glendale he'd be there, so he saw that I wasn't just some you know random teenager who happened to have kind of a cool car, and that was it. no, 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 it was in the DNA, and I was just I was sick, you know, and so was he, so we had a great time. so he allowed me to photograph his garage, which, according to him, it was the very first time that garage had been photographed. It had never yeah, I been don't photographed. think too many
1: people have have shot his garage at all
2: even okay. now yeah no and what i what i learned from the guys who work there uh leno early on put up a you know a rule no photo no photography at all and so when i was able to go in there and it was literally i saw leno at a car shop and uh he, you know what are you up to and blah 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 so i give him a little brochure of you know i'm trying to start this magazine about garages what do you think and he said i, th- I think that's a good idea this, this has never been done before and yeah you ought to do that and i said okay well i just got to get it out there and if you say no that's fine I asked, and if I don't ask, nobody's ever going to forgive me for it. Can I shoot your garage? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, yeah, 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 that's no problem, no problem. So he pulls out a piece of, like, a card, and he writes a name and a number on the back of it, and he gives it to me. He says, call her, and she'll set it up. Okay, perfect. So I called her, and she set it up with a date, and I showed up with my camera, and, yeah, that was it. So what I learned from the guys, though, uh, why Leno – didn't want photography he had had some i want to say it was a fire marshal or a fire something in there inspected. it's a big warehouse so they get inspections all the time and i guess some fire official was in there and he was photographing the vin numbers and the body numbers of the cars and as if that wasn't bad enough he went home and he posted on a website he made a website jay leno's cars and he posted all this information online. Um, the insurance—I would think that's
1: was, actionable.
2: Yeah, 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 it was. Uh, the insurance company was the one that discovered it, called Jay Leno, asked if he knew about it, and no, he certainly did not know about it. How do we get this guy taken down? Do you want me to call my lawyer? And the insurance company said, "Let us try to handle it nicely first, and if push comes to shove, you know, we'll bring the lawyers in." And it, yeah. it was within 24 hours. They just sent a letter and the website was deleted. It was just gone. But my understanding is that was what stopped anybody from being able to take photos in Leno's garage ever again. What a D. And uh, I, like I say, for some reason, I don't know. He knew me because through all the car shows, whatever, but he was, he was in issue one and issue two of Garage Style Magazine. And that, I think that helped because a lot of people said, oh, well, if Jay Leno's going to let you do it, you know. I can like yeah, J trust you. It
1: certainly certainly lends a lot of legitimacy to what you're doing.
2: Sure. Yeah. So we lasted uh, we lasted, I don't even know. Where the first one came out in 08 and we stopped printing in when was that? 2020, I wanna say. I don't know, twenty twenty or twenty nineteen we quit printing. And everybody blames COVID and I'm fine with that. Um <laughs> But haven't you gone fully digital now? We have. Yeah, we have. Actually, it was really funny. I got invited to a podcast, and uh, it's a podcast called The Break Fix Show. I don't know. If I'm allowed to say that or not, but um, oh, that's okay, we'll bleep them out, they're not as good as we are, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, well, we actually off you know a little bit to the left here. I wanted to say you're invited, the both of you, to join the Break Fix podcast because we'd like to help promote you if that's what you want to do. And I say, we Uh, I'm sure we'd be
1: thrilled to be there. (laughs) Do it,
2: do it, do it, baby, do it, do it, do it, (laughs) do it. it. You know, anyway, I I had a weird childhood. Sorry, you know, I've, I've got you know a lot of medication here that i take and you know that helps me with the rough spots you your know? kids you're in samples. but Got uh yeah. anyway I you act like you're guy. alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, okay mark fessed up Where do i'm you sorry goes? mine are all
0: upstairs i'm in the basement otherwise i I'd, I'd drag mine out too
2: we'll wait we'll wait
1: uh-huh. <laughs> i only I showed you two of them Did you bring it up for teacher <laughs>
2: That's this it's, one. It's yeah. It happened, man. It's <laughs> oh, bad, you know. It's it's like really. That's bad, a lot man. of orange it's, jars. <laughs> Jesus. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> anyway, I I get invited on this podcast, Break Fix, and it's it's owned by Grand Touring Motorsports, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? I don't know who this guy is. You know, Eric with some last name I can't pronounce, and um so okay i agree to go to the podcast and so we start talking and we just keep on talking and it's one of those things you know those moments when you realize i think i've got a friend you know yeah. and that's kind of what it was it, it was just constant back and forth he was born and raised audi porsche volkswagen hello uncle howard so it was just kind of weird because how many especially when you take how do i say this today It's not that big of a deal that, you know, no Porsche Audi Volkswagen who cares? Everybody's got one. But back in the eighties and the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bigger deal. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knew what those pieces of junk. I mean, those cars were, and you know, he did, and he not only did, he had several of them himself. So we hit it off with the Audis. And then it was just, I realized the guy's a racer, which I'm not oddly enough, that was part of the DNA I did not get from my parents was I'm not interested much in racing. But he is. And so we, we had this kind of interesting mix of he has the racing side, I have more the Concourse side, and but we love all cars. Uh although he's got a real big thing against Citroen. I don't know what that is. He really doesn't like Citroen. So <laughs> we all have our thing. You know, you guys don't like the Mach E, he doesn't like Citroen. There you go, you know. Yeah, there you are. There you so. are. I anyway, would drive a uh, Citroen.
0: I would gladly drive a Citroen. I actually even wanted uh, while I was looking around before I bought that, uh, uh, Nissan, um, I was looking pretty hard at those Audi TTs because I just love those course you little, were. little roller skate for, you know, uh, no, all wheel drive roller skate thing. Yeah. Yeah. Dig it. Dig it hard. Now, <laughs> now, Mark, have you ever driven one of those? No. Have you ever
2: driven a TT? No. Oh, seriously? Yeah, I know. Right. That, I live a sheltered that's life. That's it. Get up. Go to the dealer right now. <laughs> Go, you got to drive one of these things. They're they're a hoot. They, re- I mean, really, all they are, and I hate to say this, but all they are is a VW Beetle uh, at the end of the day. But God, they do everything so much differently. They really yeah, do. I don't it's know a how much they do Sexier it, but... Beetle, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Green Giant stepped on the Beetle and made the TT. You know, it's just a
0: Carmen um, Gill with better curves. You know, so yeah.
2: Well, and that was something that Eric told me. Did you know that the Carmen gear was supposed to make a return and it was the TT? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. So when you said that, yeah, you really hit the nail on the head without even knowing, you know, you, you bullseyed it. But anyway, so, so I meet up with this, this Eric guy and he runs this podcast. And I think that's all he does is run a little podcast. Oh, no, no. He's got this Grand Touring Motorsport, which is an entire club. It's an entire lifestyle thing. And it turns out Eric is an absolute tech nerd. I mean, he's just scary what he does with technology and writing code and building computers. I, I can I don't even know what he does because it's so beyond my pay grade. And so we get to talking about rolling garage style into digital. now we'd had the newsletter and the newsletter is what had been, you know, when we quit printing, we relied heavily on the newsletter and that's been what we've been living off of. And it was working, you know, and I realized it's a lot more flexible It's not as fun. It's not as pretty, but it's a lot more flexible. It's a lot faster and it gets out there a lot easier than the magazine ever dreamed of doing. And so I started really falling in love with it. And I I wanted to learn more about how to make more, how to make it more, how to make it bigger. And along comes Eric, you know, and we liked each other. We had fun with each other. And so the next thing you know, he redoes our website. He redoes our, my God, I don't know what he's done, but he's done everything with social media. And all of a sudden We suddenly have more subscribers. We suddenly have a bigger Facebook presence, a bigger Twitter presence, a bigger whatever. And, you know, the ultimate goal, Brett, Mark, the ultimate goal for Garage Style way back when, and it's still today, you already know quite a bit about my upbringing. You already know quite a bit about how nuts I am. One of the shows, seven, eight, nine years old, that I grew up watching because I was a weird kid, right? (laughs) I don't just watch, you know, the cartoons. I love those too. But no, 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 at two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday on Channel 11, I had to tune in to Good evening and welcome to Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, oh, God. where we're going to take you on a cruise and we're going to show you the south of France, where we're going to meet with Roger Moore, who lives there full time. I loved that guy. <laughs> loved him. <laughs> I loved that show. That show (laughs) was just so cool. You get to see all these cool, (laughs) rich people running around, you know? And I always wanted that. Remember what I said? I want that. You know, the magazine. I want that. I want a law degree. I want, you know, and and, and, yeah, I'm a greedy, spoiled little brat. Sue me. Um, That's just motivated. 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 Very good. Yeah, I like that. I like that better. Now you see why I'm not a lawyer, because I can't talk good like you. (laughs) I'm a word whore. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'll tell you something though. You know, you, you need heavy things moved. I'm your guy. Heavy you know? guy, you know, huh. I'm your guy. <laughs> Mark, speaks more gooder. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I are word thingies.
2: <laughs> so anyway, the the lifestyle of the rich and famous that was a huge inspiration, and with garage style, I thought we have a chance to do something similar. You know, we have a chance to with with technology the way it is. I mean, this is more powerful than the computer I'm talking to you on. It's insane what kind of power is in this thing. So with that, we can start recording interviews with owners. We can start, you know, doing, you know, the B-roll. We can start doing some A-roll. We could, I mean, with the editing software that's out there, it's, it's insanity. One problem for me. Where do I put the videotape and how do I lay the black? Now, if you're an yeah, old video guy, you know what that means. Lay the black. Nobody today, nobody had a clue what that means because nobody uses videotape anymore. That was the one area that I'd let go of with video production. So while I let go of it and I was focused on print, the world moved on. And the next thing is, it's all digital. So I got to learn all this stuff. But uh, we're learning. Uh, my daughter, fortunately, is one of those. You know how it is when you're a kid; you just know how to operate the tech stuff. And so she's been doing a lot of the video editing and the video recording and all that stuff. And she tries to teach me, but you know I move heavy stuff well, and <laughs> it just doesn't work. So we are slowly moving into that direction of garage style television, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, cool, as as cool, we... cool. So Don, yes, all so... of
1: that said, I'm dying Sorry. to know. No, no, I am dying to know. Lord. What is the single dumbest thing you've ever done in a car?
2: Dumbest? God, there's so many. Wow, I I'm going to be here all night thinking. I mean,
1: <laughs> what's your favorite that the statute of limitations has run out and there's no possibility of prosecution?
2: Um, okay, you're a dumb 16 year old kid. Your first vehicle is a '74 F-150. It used to be what's called a Caltrans truck. And if you don't know California, Mm -hmm. basically what that is, is street maintenance, highway maintenance is called Caltrans. And so my dad being in construction, he used to buy these old equipment trucks, old equipment, whatever, fixed them up, sell them, that kind of thing. So he bought an old Caltrans truck and it was supposed to be fixed up and sold. And it didn't get sold for a long, long time. And it ended up uh, my first vehicle that I drove, you know, to high school. And, uh, again, you know, when your favorite show is the Rockford Files, you think to yourself, well, goddamn, I can do that reverse 180, that J-turn, no problem, right? Jim does it all the time. Why, I can do it, too. What I didn't realize at the time were the physics. Uh, You're not driving pickup. Jim's
1: car. You're driving Rocky's car.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rocky had the pickup. Yeah. And what I didn't realize were the physics were very different between a Firebird and a pickup. And my dad had shoehorned in a massive, massively built 460 under the hood. So this truck had more power than it knew what to do with. And it was real heavy up front. So when you get the thing going backward and you cut that wheel and that nose, oh boy, that, it, that, uh, Wow, it did not like doing that at all. And of course, it's a factory suspension. From you know, how old was (laughs) I? I was sixteen, so the car was sixteen because I was born in seventy four. And so so that thing is like
1: a rhino in a wet clay bank.
2: (laughs) Uh huh. Yeah, and it's leaning. I mean, I really at one point I thought it was going to tip over. And you know, it it completes the turn and kind of kind of keeps going. It almost did a three sixty because that that engine is so heavy and there's nothing in the back. It's just kind of spinning. And stupid is very smart because once it all stopped and I got my heart rate back, I kind of thought, <laughs> okay, what did I learn from that? How can I do that better? Oh God. <laughs> you know, it's not enough that I, you know, damn near ripped the front end of the truck off. No, I want to go try it again. And I did from right there where it stood, it was still in reverse. It was still running It, you know, so I look behind me, there's nothing there. So I think, okay, well, let's let's try it again. Let's see what I can do. You know, so I, I figured go slower this time. Cause that was my that was my problem. I went too fast and the, the inertia was just carrying me too much. So go a little slower, right? So I go a little slower and I cut that wheel and it leans and it starts doing the draggy thing and it's doing it. It's doing it. So I'm like, oh my God, we're gonna succeed. We're gonna succeed. So I drop it down in first. And nail that. Oh my God. It did nothing but blow smoke all over the rear wheels just because all it did was sit there and burn out. It's just burning out. But the funniest thing, or whatever you want to call it, the poor truck was still kind of going backward. So it's still going backward, but those rear wheels are burning out, trying to go forward. And now it's starting to fishtail a little bit. And I'm thinking, this is so fun. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. You know?
3: <laughs> so you know,
2: yeah, that was that was probably the stupidest thing I ever did. But we we did a lot of stupid things and they usually revolved around that yellow truck because it was so damn fast. I mean, that thing was just stupid how how fast it was. Um, you know, but my dad later told me, I I asked him, you know, what were you thinking?
3: You know, <laughs> it, you know
2: my sister had the truck before I did, and she I know she had her adventures in that truck. And uh, I asked my dad, well, what were you thinking, giving two 16-year-old kids this massively, stupidly overpowered, underbalanced crop? To, he's thinking you know, what he's what not going to have
1: to pay for college.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, he flat out <laughs> said it. He said, he, you're, he said it's like throwing a kid in the water. You're going to learn, learn to swim real quick. And, yep. you know, I, I got to tell you, I did i really really did i remember the first time i floored that truck it scared the bejesus out of me i i had never you know oh my god i mean it was just sick how quick that truck was and yeah you learn real quick respect uh for the machinery and you learn your limitations and that's really important too and you know i it, we all say it, oh i'm a great driver you know i like to think that i really am today. And my sister is also a great driver. Actually, both of them are. Um, And we all had massively overpowered cars. My oldest sister ended up with that wagon I told you about, the 429. That wagon was her first car. So the wagon at least had the weight to it. It's not
1: that we are spectacular drivers. It is that we've done so much dumb crap and had to figure out how to deal with said dumb crap Mm -hmm. that you've got an abundance of knowledge of dealing with your car when it's been out of shape. And that's what we're good at. We're good at getting out of situations. We shouldn't have been in, in the Mm -hmm. first place. We are not great drivers. We have an abundance of experience dealing with poor decisions. Mm (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well said. We've been speaking with Don Weberg of Garage Style Magazine. Don, please take a moment and tell us all the social media links and websites we can find you.
2: Yeah, the the, uh, first one, obviously, would be the website, which is www.garagestylemagazine.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, You can also look us up. uh, Well, no, you can't. You'd have to sign up for our newsletter through the website. Uh, And that is free of charge. So just get up there and sign up and we'll start sending you the newsletter. Don, thank you so much for being with us. We
1: really appreciate it. So happy we finally got this one done. I know, me too. Thanks for having
2: me. I appreciate it. This was fun.
1: Sounds like Mr. Weberg's done just a little bit of everything, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, and, and been adventurous enough and just fun enough. You know, you've got the people that, that talk about kind of like they're, you know, uh success pirates and they're oh, you're going out and doing this and this. And
1: he's like, no, nah, I just I wanted to do something else. And I'm like, damn,
0: that sounds awesome. Yep.
1: I'm trying to square my head with almost an attorney and work for hard copy. Doesn't that seem like two ends of the spectrum? <laughs> That's a little on the different side, but very cool guy and a very cool magazine. Everybody be sure to check out Garage Style. Very, very cool stuff. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at show.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as the Driven Radio Show podcast. You can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo! Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Driven Radio.